journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Tob and welcome to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Adel Kozulski, and we're going to be spending the next three quarters of an hour learning Torah, which is Kneged Kulam. It is a mitzvah that outweighs all the other mitzvot. When we sit down and we look into our holy scriptures, and we actually learn the wisdom of God and learn lessons for our life. So happy for you that you are joining me. And as always, if you have any questions or comments. 34519 is our SMS line, 61895 is our telegram number. Last time we were together, we finished up the Parsha of Shemot, which is uh, the first, I think, five chapters of the book of Exodus. We are now going to start, um, actually, we actually went to chapter six, now that I'm looking at it, quite a few things, just let me double check. We're going to start on, wow, where am I now? Um, gee, I have just lost my place. Here we are. We're going to start on chapter 6. I'm right, verse 2. We just went into verse 1. That's where uh, Parshat Shmot finished. We are now on verse 2 of chapter 6, and we're starting the Parsha of Vaera. Vaera has 15 chapters. Um, it's going to be quite exciting because now we are going to be delving into seven of the ten plagues that actually come onto Egypt. So for a long time now we've been discussing really the build-up, the terrible bondage, the terrible slavery, the suffering of the Jewish people, and it is now where God says, I'm going to keep my promise, and you're going to see things happening. So please join me, chapter 6, verse 2, the beginning of Parshas Vayera, Vayidaber al-Moshe, Vayidaber Elohim al-Moshe, God speaks to Moses, Vayomer elav, Ani Hashem, I am Hashem. So let's just pick up where we landed up at the end of um, the last time we were together, was that Moses was complaining to God. He said, I've done everything you've told me. Maybe I'm not worthy. I didn't want the job. Maybe, you know, there's a whole lot of things that, that are calculating in your things, but nothing is happening. All that has happened is that since I came on board and I went to tell Pharaoh to let the people go and I told the Jewish people that they are about to go, guess what happened? N- not nothing. Everything just got even worse than before. And now is the situation where the suffering is, 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 is consuming everybody. They cannot function anymore on any level. And I don't really want to be part of it all. That was really Moshe's um, message to Hashem. And Hashem says in verse 1 of, uh, of chapter 6 that you will see what I will do to because through a strong hand you'll let them go and through a strong hand you'll drive them out of his land. But now, kind of like Hashem gets upset with Moshe. And if we actually look inside, and this is why we have to learn the text in the original, you will see that um, in reading the text in the original, 
you will see the nuance of what God is saying. Because if we read verse 2, it really doesn't make sense. It says, God says to Moshe, he says to him, I am Hashem, I am God. So God speaks to Moses and says, I am God. No, that just can't be. But if we look in the Hebrew, you will see that two different names of God are used. By Yudaber Elohim El Moshe, that Hashem in the form of Elohim speaks to Moshe, and he says to him, Ani Hashem, I am Yudke Vavke. Now we've had this discussion before, but it bears discussion again. Um, and that is in Hebrew and in the way the world is structured. And in fact, we just finished off for those that learn the book of Tanya. We've just finished learning um, 12 chapters of the Sha'ar HaYichud Vayamuna, a, a, a 12-chapter treatise that the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Shneer Zaman of Liadi, brings and explains that the world is built on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, for us to actually understand that, let's just take a pause back and understand something physical in our world, and then we'll be able to understand what we're trying to say here. We all know that today, um, through modern technology and through, through, through science, we have what's called the periodic table. And the periodic table is a list of all the elements that we find in the, in the world. We further know that if you become a biochemist, a chemist, and many of the life sciences revolves around understanding the uh, the nature of all of these elements. So let's take something very simple that everybody knows. We know that if you take two hydrogen um, molecules and you combine them with one oxygen and they are they are brought together um, for those that are scientists through sp3 hybridization, hydrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, and they connect that way, we will get the element water. We know, however, if we add in another hydrogen and make it H3O, we will not get water, we will get a different a different combination, and so forth and so on. If we take sodium and chloride, certain combinations, we will get salt. If we change the combination, we'll get something else. And hence the entire field of chemistry is opened up to us and different things are created by the various permutations of the the, the um, elements of the periodic table. Well, if we understand that, then we can go back and understand that, in fact, that is what the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are about. They are the spiritual periodic table of the world. God spoke in creation. He didn't create, he spoke, Vayomer Hashem, and God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let there be firmament, and there was firmament. God spoke. How did he speak? He spoke the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in different permutations and combinations, and it was that way that the world was created. What does it have to do with us now? Well, you're going to have to hang on and uh, just wait for this little break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 
Okay, so if we understand that the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are the spiritual and, in advance, the physical, uh, moving forward, the, the physical manifestation of everything we see in this world, it means that God took these 22 letters. Why 22 letters, I do not know. Um, that we could ask God, I guess. <laughs> not sure we get an answer. I don't know. I don't know if anybody can suggest an answer. If you can, 34519 or 0618951019. But nevertheless, the bottom line is, is that the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet created this world. And if we look in the Hebrew language, most things, almost everything, has a three-letter letter shorish, which we call the root word. Okay, and we can take from there and understand what that item is and how it was um, composed and what it is, what its nature is. For example, if you take a donkey, chamor, the shorish is chet mem resh. Chamor, according to Kabbalah, are very um, um, physical letters. And that's why when we talk about physicality in Hebrew, we talk about Homer. So Homer and Hamor, you can see, is very, very much the same, except that the Vav in the letter is shifted backwards and forwards. And so there is an entire study, and I'm not going to spend all the time now on that, where if you are given the name of an object, of a person, of a thing in Hebrew, um, and you are... Um, steeped in Torah, you understand Kabbalah, you can understand what that object is. That is why, very importantly, when we go to a holy person to ask for a blessing, we don't go and say, my name is, and you give your name and your, 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 your surname and your physical address. You will just give your full Hebrew name with your mother's name. When you do that, what you are doing is you are explaining your root source. That is why, again, just again on a tangent, when somebody is sick, we will change their name because what we are doing, or we'll add a name, like Chaim, okay, or Rachamin, mercy, onto that person's name because what we are doing is we're trying to change the spiritual and by definition down the line physical makeup of the person that they can um, change their, uh, their destiny. So now, if we understand all of that, we will also understand that God is singular. God manifests himself in this world in many, many different ways. And so when God speaks to us, he will speak to us with a combination of Hebrew letters that we will, in English, just call God, or we will call Hashem. Hashem means the name. But if we look very closely and we will see what name God is calling himself by. We will understand to a larger extent what God is trying to say. And the verse that I just introduced is an example of that. Vayida ver Elohim al-Moshe. The God we're talking about here is Elohim. Vayomer elav, and he says to him, Ani yudke vavke, havaya, I am the yudke vavke. So Elohim here, and the yud Hey and vav Hey are two names of God in the way he manifests through the permutations and combinations 
into this world. Now, it's pretty well known with these two names that when God speaks, he will either speak with an attribute of mercy, mean he's kind, he's merciful, he's forgiving, or he will be in a mode of justice, harshness, um, judgment, and that is Elohim. So here, when we're looking at it, we're saying, Vayidaber Elohim Moshe. When Elohim is speaking to Moshe, he's speaking from a place of judgment. And what is he saying to him? Ani Hashem. Uh, what I want to tell you is that I'm not a God of, of judgment. I am a God of mercy. So you can see very interestingly how important it is for us to understand the Hebrew language and what the language was telling us. So now, why was the angry, judgmental attribute of, 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 of judgment God, attribute of justice, saying to Moshe, Ani Yudke I am the God of mercy. Well, he was cross with, with Moshe. He was cross with Moshe in that um, Moshe was complaining to God, as we've just said. Okay, he was saying, "I, uh, um, I, I don't want the job," and I've, I went and told Pharaoh, and things have just got worse, and the Jewish people hate me, and I, I have a stutter, and I'm the wrong person, and you promised that nothing happened, and just so he was cross with him. And you will see now further on, he will go and explain God that. I don't know what you're complaining about because Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, when I appear to them, and you will see that when he says that he's, he's appearing to them, he appears as a different permutation of godliness, Kel Shakai. And I'm not reading it properly because I, I'm not, I don't want to take God's name in vain, but it's the Aleph Lamed and then the Shin Dalad Yud. Okay? So he's saying, I appeared to the, the forefathers in a different type of combination, which was less expressive than I am now with the yud hey vav and hey, and you are complaining. I'm cross with you. So Vayomer Elohim Moshe, God's attribute of justice, of, 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 of din, was saying to him, I don't know what you're complaining about. I'm a little cross with you. I'm, I'm holding you accountable. And in fact, it was on this that it was proclaimed that Moshe would not go into the land of Israel because of it. But I want you to know, Moshe, I am Yudke Vavke. Now, what is Yudke Vavke? Okay. The Yudke Vavke of Hashem's name represents that God exists beyond space. He exists beyond time. Okay. And that he is a God of mercy and that he will, in fact, fulfill his promise. Just one other thing, just in terms of the name Elohim, Elohim has the same numerical value as the word Hateva, which means nature. So God, in his attribute of justice, appears that way in nature. What are we saying here? That when we look at the natural world, when we like look outside our window and we see the trees and the grass, and, and, and the environment that we find ourselves in, and um, we don't see godliness. God is completely concealed in nature, 
And that is an expression of God's judgment. When I don't want to tell you everything about me and be completely open and vulnerable, I will constrict myself and I will let you only know what I deem to be needed to know. I won't tell you much more than that. I'm in a state of constriction. So when we talk about Elohim, when we talk about the, the word of God, Elohim, in nature, what we see is that God is expressing himself. He's expressing himself and giving life to the tree, to the grass, to the wall, to the to, to absolutely everything, right? But he's it's on a need-to-know basis, meaning that with scientists we know that if we, we, we cut a blade of grass, we will see the cells and we will see the life in the grass and we can see the grass growing, so there is life. But God is hidden in it. That is the attribute of justice. That is why, by the way, when we look at creation, it says, Bereshit bara Elohim In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, but the God that created was Elohim, not yud hey vav hey. Elohim created it because when God created the world, he hid himself in the world. He constricted himself in the world, like the attribute of justice. And he created a world that seemingly looks as if there is no God. However, we know, as Jews, that absolutely everything, even the most inanimate, the earth, the stones, the mountains, all the way to the most animate, which are ourselves, we are all imbued with the breath of God, with the energy that God gives us to, to, to be alive. And if that energy is removed, we then die and disappear. We actually become nothing. Um, so however great modern medicine is, we know there comes a point in time where there still is the concept of death because we can't recreate the, 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 the breath of God, the soul inside of us. And the same thing with plants and the same thing with anything else. We would literally just become nothing. So here you can see now through our discussion how important it is to understand um, when God is speaking, how is he speaking? So basically, he was saying to him, okay, that I, God, I'm angry with you in the attribute of justice for what you have said, and I'm going to reiterate to you that I am God, Yudke Vavke, the God of mercy in this, in this capacity. Let's look into verses 3 and 4 now and follow this gist. By era el Abraham, I appeared to Abraham, the el Yitzhak, to Isaac, the el Yaakov, and to Jacob, with Kel Shakai, as God Almighty, I'm going to translate it in English, but he uses another name, Kel Shakai. Ushmi Hashem, Yudke Vavke. So, with Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, I appeared to them, revealed myself to them through the name Kalshakai. But in truth, I am. My name is Yudke Vavke. Lo no dati lahem. They did not know the Yudke Vavke. I didn't appear to them as Yudke Vavke. The gam hakimoti etbriti itam. Latet lahem et eretz kanan. And in this way, I established my covenant with them. And I would, I said I would give them the land of Canaan. It ha'aretz migurehem. The land of their wandering. Ashegarubah, where they lived as foreigners. So what God is saying to Moshe over here is that I revealed myself to the forefathers with the only name, God Almighty, Kel Shakai. 
I never revealed to them the mystery of my name, Yud Kevavke. They still had perfect faith um, in me, and they never questioned my 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 word. And I did not have to reveal it to them because they 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 were trusting of what I said. So let's just quickly go and see what God said to all three of them very quickly. If you remember in Genesis chapter 13, God said to Abraham, rise, walk the land through its length and its breadth, for to you I will give it. And when he had to bury his wife Sarah, he didn't even have enough land of his own to bury her, and he needed a cemetery plot. He spent a great deal of money buying one, and look how much he trusted, because in one breath I told him, walk the land, Length and breadth, I'm giving it to you. When practically it came for him to bury his wife, he had no money, but he still did it because he trusted me. The same thing with Yitzchak. He said to Yitzchak in Genesis chapter 26, remain in this land for to you and your offspring, I will give all the territories. But if we physically go and see what was happening with Yitzchak's life, he couldn't even find land on which to dig a well. And whenever he dug a well, he had to fight the nations around him. But he still trusted in me, said God. To Moshe. Same thing with Yaakov. He said to Yaakov, the land upon which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. That's in Genesis 28. But when he needed land to pitch his tent and he couldn't find a home, he actually had to buy it for a hundred coins. So what was God saying? He was basically saying, you can see, I promised all the patriarchs that I would give them the land and they could have complained that I didn't keep their promise because when it practically came, they had to make a plan. But they never even thought of questioning what I did. And I only appear to him as God Almighty, as Kalshakai. Moses, I'm telling you, I'm coming to save the Jewish people with Yudke Vavke with the complete attribute of mercy and with a God who will be presented in this world beyond space and time. I'm going to create miracles that you've never, ever, ever seen before. Then he goes even further, God, and he says, I have also heard the groans of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, very interesting over here is that he puts the word again, again, seems to be redundant. Again, you've heard it again. How many times have you heard it, God? What was what was he saying to Moshe? Basically, he was saying, I have I've, I've understood, says God to Moshe, that the Egyptians have made the Israelites to do all kinds of impossible things. Um, one of the other things, by the way, that I read is that they used to make them go out and trap lions and wolves. And not because they needed them, just because they wanted to torment them. And we've spoken about the fact that the Egyptians, their job, according to the prophecy given to Abraham, was just to make Israelites do necessary work. But they went beyond the letter of the law. They, they made, they degraded them as slaves. Their entire motive was to break their spirit. And on top of that, there was also the element of gross ingratitude. Remember, Joseph was the one who saved the Egyptians from extinction, extinction by famine. And how do they show their gratitude? How do they um, thank Joseph for being the great benefactor that, that they did? 
they actually made the, the Jewish the Jewish people's lives it just it, it, it they they couldn't function at all. God said, "Don't don't think that in divine in the divine matrix there isn't a reaction for every action. I've heard it, I know it, and I am now as the attribute of mercy." I am going to sort it all out. <clears throat> and now we're going to come to um, verses that I'm just going to read, and after the break explain, but they are the very, very famous verses that we talk about on Pesach. Lachem, therefore, Emoral B'nai Yisrael, say to the Jewish people, Ani Yudke Bafke, I am Hashem, I'm going to take you out from under the subjugation of Egypt, and I will free you from slavery, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you as a nation. You will know that I am the Lord your God. I was the one who took you out from under Egypt's uh, subjugation. I will bring you to the land which I raised my hand up, so to speak, in an oath. That I had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give that to you as an inheritance. Again, I am the God of mercy. Did those verses bring any familiarity to anybody out there? 34519 is our SMS line. 061895 is our telegram number. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, let's go to these verses. And if you look back inside, you will see that God is using various expressions to describe the redemption of the Jewish people. The first one, he says, Vehutzeiti, I will take you out. Then he says, Vehitalti, I will save you. Vegaalti, and I will redeem you. Velakati, and I will take you. And then he says, Veheveti, and I will bring you. Now, for all of you who celebrate the festival of Pesach, this is the reason why we have four cups of wine plus a largest cup, which makes the fifth one. We drink one cup of wine for every redemptive adjective that we find. I will take you out, I'll save you, I'll redeem you, I'll take you. And then we pour a fifth cup, which we have, we don't drink, which is and I will bring you into the land. Let's go and and uh, dissect this a little bit more. Firstly, verse 6 starts with Lachen. Lachen means that God is doing an oath. Okay? He's basically saying to them, I have heard your cries. 
and I am promising you that I am going to take you out. Okay, the first most um, interesting thing is, is that <clears throat> there's actually two interesting things. The first thing is, is look at the first two of the redemptive um, words. Behotseti, I will take you out from under the subjugation of Egypt. Behitalti, and I will save you from your slavery. Well, that seems a little bit the the, the other way around, okay? Because um, if you slave them, if you save them from enslavement, the hitalti etchem If you save them from the slavery, then you should hitalti etchem mitachat sivrut mitzrayim. In fact, it's almost it's almost redundant. Okay, then you will save them from the subjugation of Egypt. So what is what is God trying to teach us here? Okay, the order should have been I will redeem you and then I will I will bring you out. So one of the things we need to understand is that the greatest wish the Jewish people had then was to be led out of Egypt because the land was like a prison camp. And they felt that they would never, ever lead. It wasn't the slavery. It was the fact that they felt boxed in and they couldn't leave. Now, by the way, how do we know that? Because all the time when God speaks to the, to, to the patriarchs and even the Jewish people first in Egypt, they use the word Mitzrayma. Mitzrayma means to Egypt. Instead of them saying, Le Mitzrayim. Now, Mitzrayma has two mems, and both mems are open. Okay, they are not the, the 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 final mem, which we know that there are certain letters in the Hebrew alphabet. When they appear at the end of a word, they change their structure, not by accident, on purpose, based on what we've been speaking about today. So, whenever he's spoken to the Jewish people, he said Mitzrayma, which means that you can come and go. But when it changes to Le Mitzrayim, the second mem gets completely closed, and we know that because the Egyptians were steeped in the um, knowledge of occult arts, they had placed all sorts of devices, having the form of animals at all the gates of the city, and if a slave tried to escape, this form would cause all the dogs in the city to begin to bark, that would raise the alarm, and the, the slave would soon be caught. So, when God says, I'm going to take you out from the, the, the subjugation of Egypt, he needed to tell them, it doesn't matter about the slavery, I'm just going to take you out of Egypt, because that was what was most limiting. Once they knew that they could escape Egypt, then God says, I will redeem you, I will save you from your slavery. Because to say, I'll take you out of your slavery, they'll go, big deal, great. Thank you for making us not slaves, but we still can't get out of this hellhole. So that is why God said what he said. But more than that, I want to explain that each of these redemptive words were against four harsh decrees against the Israelites. 
let's just go through what were the four main harsh degrees, decrees that the Egyptians put on, and how does it counter by what God, God is saying, Behoteti, Behitalti, Begaalti, Belakachti. Firstly, the first harsh decree was that they, the Egyptians appointed slave drivers over them and forced them to build Pitom and Ramses. So God says, Behitalti, I will bring you out of the subjugation of Egypt. Second, they had given them back-breaking work, and they had made their lives bitter with harsh labor. So God says, Vihitalti, I will free you from that slavery. The third thing is that they had decreed that every male infant be drowned in the Nile. So God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched hand. I will redeem you with an outstretched hand. Fourthly, they stopped giving them straw and demanding the same quota of bricks as before. So God says, I will take you out as a nation. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, we drink four cups of wine on Pesach. That God took care of all the redemptive processes that were needed to remove away from the Jews, okay, um, the, 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 the subjugation that they were out. Why do we not drink a fifth cup of wine? Why do we leave it for Koseliyahu that I will bring you into the land? Well, for a number of reasons. Okay? And also, you, you'll see that the Heveti for them did not come true. God did not bring them into the land because we know that all of them died in the desert and only a new generation went into the land of Israel. So God made this the Heveti conditional. He would bring them into the land only if they respected him and remained aware of his greatness. Then they would be assured that they would inherit the promised land. Okay, And that's why he says at the end, it will be a morasha, it will be an inheritance to you. And this is the nature of our relationship with the land of Israel. God will take us out through four redemptive stages. But if we want the Veheveti, we need to have the understanding of the privilege that we've got in receiving the land. And this speaks to us today in 2023. Thank God today we have seen the redemptive process of the Heveti that God is starting to bring us back to the land. But if we do not choose to treat the land of Israel as the land of Torah, the land of God, the land that was promised to us, but try to diminish ourselves in the eyes of the nations to become like the other nations, then we will lose the merit. Our merit of being in the land of Israel is because we need to have the attitude that we cherish that inheritance, and it is a schut that God gave to us. That's vitally, vitally important. We do not behave and act the same way that the nations of the world act. Okay, we need to act in a godly way. We need to be connected to God. We need to keep Torah and mitzvahs. And those of us that reside in the land of Israel bear a much greater responsibility in behaving in a way in which that um, blessing has been given to us. It comes with a great amount of responsibility. This is 101.9 High FM. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So after God has explained all of this to Moshe, he goes and relates it to the Jewish people. Vayidaber Moshe, Cain, Elbanei Israel, he says this to the Jewish people. 
But guess what works? They were unable to hear it because of their broken spirits and cruel bondage. They had become so embedded in the Egyptian culture, so many of them had accepted the idolatrous rites of Egypt, okay, that even though their physical con- uh, condition was terrible, they thought that maybe spiritually they had something, and the idea that they had to abandon these spiritual practices to worship now an unknown God made them refuse to listen to to Moshe. And that's why it says that we were on the 49th level of impurity. Had God waited a second more, we would have slipped into the 50th gate of impurity to which there was no redemption. This is 101.9 High FM. I'm Adel Kozilski. I hope uh, this lesson was enlightening and I look forward to continuing the story of how the Jews got out of Egypt. Same time, same place next week. Shavuot Tov and have a great week ahead.